good to see you in the light. Uh, it's been an eventful couple weeks for a lot of us uh, with the ice storms and power outages and such and trying to figure out how to keep frozen stuff frozen. And, and we finally get to get back to our sermon series in Deuteronomy again. And uh, where we left off uh, in December before the holidays, we were looking at the Ten Commandments and how these commandments to us are actually based on God's love for us, to be gracious to us and to reveal to us the things that are actually good for us. In fact, uh, as we get going this morning, I would say that the Ten Commandments revolve around the theme of divine jealousy. The jealousy of God is not a vice, but a virtue that protects the integrity of relationships. So, uh, as you'll recall, we looked at the Ten Commandments. Uh, The first three have to do something with God's jealousy over his own holiness and glory. Uh, The fourth commandment, God's jealousy over our time, wanting us to set time aside to honor him. And then commandments five through ten is God's jealousy over our relationships with other human beings, with each other, things that help build up the community together. Um, We are most satisfied in life when God is most glorified. And those first three commandments speak to that reality. Um, The Sabbath was a way of honoring both God and the image of God by both receiving and granting rest. Now, the Sabbath, we are not under the same obligation as under the new covenant as disciples of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Uh, And yet, I would say that that principle of rest, giving rest and receiving rest, setting aside a time dedicated to the Lord, that has never been more crucial than, I, I think, in our day and age and the distractions that we we face and the things thrown our way. And then uh, God's jealousy over the health of our relationships. Doing things God's way actually builds community. God's way maintains the peace and blessing of our relationships with other people. God is jealous for the integrity of your marriage. He is jealous over the way you treat your neighbor. When someone commits murder, He is jealous over his image being destroyed. God is jealous about you coveting things that you should not covet. You putting things up higher on the list of uh, priorities that God himself does. So uh, we kind of looked at the Ten Commandments through this lens of divine jealousy and helped define that a little bit. But today we're going to get into the sixth chapter where God gives us further instructions to help us succeed. In the Ten Commandments, the Lord reveals what is good to us and what will harm us. God is very clear about what he desires, and the boundaries he he draws are not ambiguous and up for debate. That is a kindness to us, drawing lines for us. But what kind of heart does a person need to have a shot at keeping the commands of God, following God's commands. The only hope you or I have of living up to the commands of God is by having an undivided heart, a heart that is fixed on 
Christ. A heart that isn't wishy-washy or double-minded or distracted or conflicted. Frankly, the only way, the only shot that we have at, at following the commands of God in a perfect way is through the, having the heart of Jesus, his spirit living in us. So there's several words that come up again and again in Deuteronomy that in modern English we hear them a bit differently. So let me share a few of those with you. So we talked about a few weeks ago the jealousy of God. You know, we typically think of jealousy as a pretty negative quality, even a vice at times. Uh, but the jealousy that God has is actually an attribute that helps protect us and creates open doors for relationships within community. And uh, that is important to God, and he protects that. Love of God, I would say. We tend to think of love in a more... Um, <clears throat> an emotional kind of uh, <clears throat> attachment. Eros versus agape. Um, but when, when uh, Moses talks about love, I think the word is hesed, not a feeling or an emotion, although it might include that, it's more closely tied to fidelity, devotion, and honor. It is something rooted in the will, and uh, it's a very specific kind of love that we're called to have toward God. And then the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, it's not not terror of God like destroying us. It's not like God's going to fly off the handle and get abusive toward me and Fear of the Lord has more to do with the way that you are walking. What path are you walking in? Uh, the fear of the Lord has to do with obedience. Are you walking in the path of obedience to God? Fear of the Lord has to do with holy reverence. Do I revere the Lord? Do I keep him holy and set apart in my life, in my mind? Um, and so constantly in Deuteronomy, you have the love of God paired together with the fear of the Lord. And those things go hand in hand. A person who ignores and brushes aside the commands of God, uh, you know, this is not that big a deal. Uh, that's a person who has no fear of the Lord. When you take holy things and commanded things and you make the, turn them into not a big deal, does it really matter? I don't think it's that big a deal. There is a problem. You do not have fear of the Lord. And without the fear of the Lord, there's no true love of God. Deuteronomy constantly puts these things together, fear of the Lord and love of God, and you cannot, in fact, love God without the fear of the Lord. So, uh, chapter 10, we see this illustrated a little bit. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. For your own good. 
So you see that fear of the Lord together with love to him. And that love and that fear is always going to express itself, serving him, wholehearted, mind and soul and body. And when we do this, we're blessed by it. It works good for us. It protects us. It builds community and relationships. Simply put, if you don't obey God, you don't fear him and you don't love him. And so from our text in Deuteronomy 6 this morning, Moses is teaching us about how to rightly prioritize love of God above everything else. It might sound strange to talk about the priority of love or prioritizing certain loves. And although we don't often say these things out loud, what loves in your life are the most important? Uh, I don't know. We can kind of keep a running list in our heads. If I were to ask you to prioritize your loves, here's an example. Which love is a priority in your mind? If you had to pick, I know this is just an artificial construct, intellectual exercise, if you will. Who do you love more? Your aunt or your best friend? My best friend, that's so intimate. But my aunt is family. There's an obligation there because it's family. Which love is a priority in your mind? Your mom or dad or your child? If we get these priorities mixed up, it, it can create chaos in our lives. What is a priority in your mind? Your obligation and love for your spouse or your child? Have you, some of you had parents who've traumatized you with this kind of stuff. Hey, just so you know, it comes down to it. I'm choosing your mom over you. Or I'm, it's going to be your dad. If it's just two in the lifeboat, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm taking your dad. and You've got to figure it out. What about this one? Your mother versus your wife. <laughs> you get this mixed up. There's all kinds of collateral damage that comes with this stuff. A close friend or a brother or sister at church. You, some of us have special friendships outside of this church body. Praise God for that. And we recognize also this is, this is something different we do here. What we're invited to in a church as a community of faith, that needs to mean something. And it's something we feel some pull of obligation to. And yet this friend, they're amazing. And how do we discern these things? Here's another one. <laughs> do not answer that. Do not answer this one. I'm a, I know that when push comes to shove, you'll get this one right. So what happens when you prioritize your mother over your wife, for example? 
Or what happens when the priority of your family, when it centers all around one particular child? You build the family ethos and identity. Everyone is responding to this one child. Maybe they have more needs, and these are difficult things we got to work out. What happens when you show favoritism between children? What does that do for a family dynamic? Oh, so-and-so is clearly my favorite. Dad has his favorite. Mom has their favorite. You know how... We know how these things go. They do not work out well when favoritism is shown between children. There's a lot of stories in the Bible about this very thing. What happens when you love other things or people more than you love the Lord your God? You see, it is really easy to prioritize other things and other relationships over our love for God. And in our text this morning, Moses clarifies for us the way that we're supposed to love God and the kind of priority that the Lord our God needs in our lives. He says these words, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. That is our challenge. How many of us love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength? I like that. I saw a hand up. Raise your hand if you love God more than anything else, and you do this perfectly all the time. You do it perfectly all the time? 24 7, 365 days a year? Perfect all the time? If I were to look at your credit card statement, If I were to interview your coworkers, if I shadowed you and observed how you spent your time, Calvin's just sitting in your living room at night, what would I hear? Would I say, wow, so-and-so really loves God more than anything else. Would I get that idea? Would you get that idea if you were just showing up and sitting in my house when, I'm, when my guard is down, when I'm not in preacher mode or whatever this is? <laughs> to get an idea of how lofty this call is to love God, it may be he- helpful to hear other ways that this text is translated. Hero Israel, Yahweh is our God. Yahweh alone. You shall love Yahweh, your God, with your every thought, your every breath, and with your every endeavor. That's what they're getting at. Every breath. I don't even think about my breaths unless 
I can't get it for some reason. Then it becomes very important. My every endeavor. I go, I undertake so many endeavors in a day. And so many of them are just mundane. Does God really care about those mundane little things? I tell you what, if you start to do the mundane together with the Lord, mundane becomes, has the potential to become glorious. What about the big things? Well, I've came up with this plan, so I need the Lord to give me the divine stamp of approval. I prayed about this. Give me this. I know I need this. Every thought, every breath, every endeavor you undertake, does it flow out of a love for God? Does it come from the fear of the Lord and contending for the honor of His name? It's hard to keep God constantly is the clear priority of your life. It's hard. You can say it's easy, but you've not thought about it very much then. And maybe you're walking your own delusional path. This is hard. We spend a lifetime trying to be formed and sanctified and to become more like Jesus Christ. But you know as hard as this is, I'm going to tell you clearly, you were made for this and it is easier than anything else you're trying. Anything else that you put in God's place is ultimately going to disappoint you and let you down. And you know what makes it harder for us? It's hard, and this is a hard pill for me to swallow. Loving God as the constant clear priority of my life is only hard to the extent that I myself am double-minded, lukewarm, half-hearted, inconsistent, undisciplined. What God asks of us is truly impossible. But by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit strengthening and encouraging my own spirit. And let me say this. I hope I hope that an honest assessment of your own life will lead you to a place of repentance. Not maybe all the time. And you think, who could sustain this? And if you know I'm going to fall on my face,
the enemy the enemy of our souls he will try to trip us up and discourage us when we're knocked down he wants us to stay down if he can keep you from even trying but if you even take the smallest step and being intentional about honoring the Lord your God with everything you have, with your every endeavor, even a baby step is going to produce a different kind of fruit in your life. And little baby steps over time, they lead to other places. Thank you. What about Bob? We can own that this is hard. We can own that none of us does this perfectly. But you know what? The Lord is engaged in our lives to try to help us succeed and learn how to do this better over time. And here's, here's the fruit of that. If God is the clear priority of your loves, Here's what that does for other loves in your life. You're going to love your spouse better. When Alicia loves God as the priority of her life, she's going to love Calvin better and vice versa. When you keep God as the clear priority of your life, you're going to love your children better. You're going to love your parents better. You're going to know how to love your family, those difficult rascals that if it weren't that we were related by blood, you're going to love your friends better. You're going to love the people in this room better. And you know what? Those who are lost and dying in this world, those who are like sheep without a shepherd, you're going to love them better too. if we get it right and we learn in just even fits and spurts to love the Lord our God with everything we got, it's going to change all our other loves around us for the better. I want to say, what does it mean to love God with our mind? Loving God with our mind is less about academics and more about strategy. It is about being thoughtful, deliberate, and strategic about our love for God so that loving God and expressing that love, it preoccupies our thoughts. We think about how everything we do and say in life relates to God and reflects on God. Uh, Kevin Youngblood, professor at uh, Harding University, Old Testament guy. I really like this. I like this because loving God with your mind isn't so much about your IQ. It isn't so much about having an impressive memory. It's about, not about how other people can recognize how clearly intelligent or smart you are. It has a lot more to do with how are you making plans for keeping God in the forefront of your thoughts. It's about 
organization, it's about strategy, it's about intentionality. How are you going about keeping the Lord your God in the forefront of what's going on in here? That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all your mind. Are you strategic in the habits you're cultivating? Or are you just kind of faking it until you make it? There's room for some fake it until you make it in this life. But most of us, it's time to wake up and get serious and get intentional about this. Because you've been languishing and fake it till you make it for way too long. But when you've truly fallen in love with God, you know, it's a very English phrase to modern English, fall in love with. When you truly love God right, you know, you see this kind of love displayed in hymn writers. One hymn I love is, Be Thou My Vision. Thou and Thou only first in my heart, High King of Heaven, my treasure Thou art. My best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, Your presence, Lord, is my light. Love of God. We are invited into a together with God life. And that relationship and the priority of that love, it makes everything else better. Every other relationship better. What are the strategies that Moses recommends to keep your love priorities in line? Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. How many of you do some of these things? And maybe we would look at like an Orthodox Jew with phylacteries and different things and they actually have a little box that they strap up here and things that they leather, they lash on these. And we might think that, yeah, that sounds a little excessive or legalistic to us. But I think we, can, we have an opposite problem in our, our culture. Is we don't take these kind of things seriously enough. If you cared enough to actually strap a verse on your forehead and walk around and let people see you and think weird thoughts about you and sometimes parents are not as committed and disciplined and intentional about teaching their children to love the Lord their God as they need to be I'm, I'm not trying to be mean about this. And I know something of the struggles of that. Are you interested in passing on your faith to your children? I, yeah, that would be a good thing. 
if they happen to choose Jesus for themselves, I think that that would be really nice. This is not what Moses is talking about. I do not have to be a prophet to tell you what the fruit of this kind of thinking is going to be. If that's the extent you're willing to give and invest, our love has to be stronger than this. What do your kids see at your home? Kids, grandkids, what do they, what do they notice? Do they, they pick up on your priorities and what you spend your time on? Are words of Scripture on the lips and ears of the people that come into your house? Or is it arguments? bickering, profanity sometimes? Do your children see that you are addicted to screens or certain things? Or do they notice that you are more animated and excited about whatever sports games on TV than Do your kids ever see you act selfishly? The obvious answer is yes to all of these. I think about that too as a parent sometimes. Do you pray for your children? You spend time praying for them? Maybe a lot. I know we're, we're all trying to figure this out. And we are all, and some of you guys are doing an amazing job. And all of us, in one way or another, we're all learning. And we're learning to do this better. Too much flexibility, not enough intentionality and commitment. And your children are going to walk away from the Lord. That's the danger on one side. But too much structure legalism, harshness that crushes the spirit, that is going to cause children to rebel and it's going to be explosive and they'll walk away from the Lord as well. Sometimes parents are not very good at modeling the joy of the Christian life. We're not very good at at modeling the joy that comes uh, in the mission of God and serving God. But the potential of a life given over to the Lord, it leaves marks on the next generations coming behind us. We are marked by the generations that have preceded us. You know, I get it that ultimately I cannot control your child or my child and make them a disciple of Jesus. It's not within my power to do that. But I can live my life and model my faith in such a way that I am not the reason that they are rebelling against the Lord their God. So a a story, one of my Bible professors, a young man in Austin, Texas, he was a, uh, he taught Christian ethics, brilliant guy. We were all intimidated as young undergraduates, you know, like, 
He's the one who really is smart, and he'll, he's the one who makes us all feel really dumb and point out our mistakes. And, you know, part of those rites of passage of going through some of that. And uh, he wrestled with his faith quite a lot before he chose the Lord as God, clearly, as the priority of his life. And in fact, he told a story about attending a conference at the University of Texas. It was a, a, an academic conference to affirm positions and help people cultivate atheism and to understand what are the clear reasons why we think that Christianity is ridiculous. This is how you handle Christians. These are the things that you say. These are the... F- these are the things that you need to try to point out to trip Christians up in their thinking. These are the logical fallacies that, and, and people attack the most absurd things. But anyway, he goes to this conference to, and he's talking with a friend afterwards. And the friend says to him, well, I guess that pretty much explains why we could never logically be a Christian. To which he thought about it and he answered, yes, but they still haven't explained my mother. And the faithfulness of his mother not giving up constantly in prayer it changed the trajectory of his life. Deuteronomy is concerned with passing on the faith to new generations. It's a big part of what Moses is doing with the Israelite nation. Your battle for the faith of your children has to be a multi-front war. This is just, and, and this is all Calvin. I made up this list um, from my own life experiences, a lot of it. Uh, but I think that there's some wisdom here, and maybe it is at least a catalyst to get you thinking about these things. The devil is going to attack you and your family any, any way he can. And he's very strategic about this. And you, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, trying to pass on faith to the generations following you, don't give up. Be smart about it. Be strategic. Commit to things. Do things in a way that helps you fight against the attacks that are coming against you. We don't get it all right all the time. Don't give up. If there's a stronghold of the enemy that is in your household, be bold and courageous. Shut that thing off. Yeah, it's going to create some family drama or whatever, (coughs) but the Lord can use that to great good and great effect. Intentionality in prayer and scripture reading and memorization. Do you have the words of God up in your house, in your life, somewhere? I know people who have just walls covered with Scripture. And they're doing it with their kids, and they're having kids. 
uh, Cindy told me a really sweet one the other day about uh, her daughter drawing pictures to go with verses of prayer that when she would wake up at night, she could turn a flashlight on and it would shine on the picture that she drew matched with the scripture that would comfort her about the Lord protecting and keeping me safe as I sleep. Do you put words in your mind that you share with people around you? Do you pray together with people that are in your household? Um, honest awareness of what you're modeling. And none of us gets this right all the time. We need to rest. We need to recreate. But think about this sober-mindedly. Here's another one. This is dying in our time. The art of hospitality. The, the art of visitation and opening our lives to one another and other people. Are your kids used to seeing other people in your home? Are your kids used to going out to visit other people? Involvement in mission, learning how to work for the Lord as a family. This is something we're doing together as a family to serve God. You got to get the little ones doing this. We had a work day here at church yesterday. Brett was out there with his big trailer loading it up, bring, bring branches, and you know who was following right behind? Papa. Little Oliver struggling. He's going to get there. He's going to do that together with his grandpa. That is so good. Those things are so good. Wisdom in protecting your children from negative influences that come in your house. We are assaulted through the screens that are before us. And there is the potential for great evil and great harm to come in front of the eyes of our little ones. You've got to be smart about this. You've got to be smart about regulating this. Protecting your children from negative influences your kids are going to deal with outside of the home. You know, if you have children in a school, I don't care if it's a homeschool tutorial or a Christian school or a 4J school, whatever that is, you have to be involved in processing these things with your kids. work when they get old enough to do some work of some kind or jobs what are those influences do you have a family conversation about that that's maybe a small window 16 to 19 or whatever that is what about other households you know the way things function in your household but when they go to the neighbor's house of the sleepover there's worse things that can happen in that kind of context than loading up on sugary cereal. What doors are we opening up of influences in these little lives? Uh, allowing your kids 
to build other godly relationships. And this is, you know, different ages, this is going to look different. Who are the people that you look up to? Who are the people that can speak truth and life into your family? Peers or mentors, other godly people who are seeking the Lord, uh, trustworthy people in ways that this is always going to be uh, transparent and holy and encouraging. What about articulating a family identity? And sometimes we did a good job at this, other times, but we learned certain things. Like, honesty is a family virtue and and integrity. And if you lie and it breaks that, this is what that means. We're Gruens. We We don't lie. We don't cheat. Our word is true because that's the ethic of our family do we articulate that what are we about as a family you can get creative in this build or make t-shirts do special projects engage in the mission of God is a huge one clear family boundaries that are consistently enforced it's hard on our kids when this is true for right now and today, but tomorrow, mom's tired, it doesn't matter, we're going to just do whatever. And this is hard, and we don't do this perfectly, but let me encourage you parents, try to be consistent in the boundaries that you're setting for your family. And you don't have to have too many, but make sure that you have certain clear ones, and that you can talk about those together. Cultivating family fun. Is it, is it fun to be a Gruen? Oh, good. I got a head nod from Haley. So, <laughs> What we're about, the way we invest in relationships and other people's lives, what we're doing these things in a godly way, it, it creates, we have a lot of fun together. And there's the potential for a lot of fun. And when it's all, you need to do this or you're going to get, and when you, if you don't listen to the rules of my household and you're going to, and if it's all that and you're not having fun, this is just my list. I know that you have your own list and there are more things, but I do think that there's some wisdom here. Things that we're invited to think about. All right, so Dad, you can come up. That is our sermon for the day. Look at these words from Deuteronomy 6. The way that we love the Lord our God, it matters. The priority that we give to loving the Lord, it matters. Number two, what strategies are you putting in place to succeed in sharing your faith with the generations that are following you? Hey, If it's not perfect now and you really feel beat up by these words or what I've shared, that's okay. It beats me up. But what are some next steps you can be taking? What what are ways that you can be moving toward strategic thinking and intentionality? That's fear of the Lord.
That's walking in his ways and walking in obedience. So I hope, I hope that these words are an encouragement for all of us to be thoughtful about wholehearted devotion to the Lord our God and making the love of the Lord the clear priority of our life. I guarantee you, and you know the truth of this, the more you lean into that, the more you experience the fruit of how that transforms you and the relationships around you. So we always offer an invitation at the church. If you need the prayers of this congregation or would like to put the Lord on in baptism and that journey of discipleship, we always make room for that to happen. Help uh, any way we can help you to be strong and courageous in your walk together with the Lord. That's our desire. So let's go ahead and stand and sing our invitation.